Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Once I was given this understanding that I should be a rugged individual and I should avoid relying on other people or sharing things with uh, those who hadn't yet earned it or didn't deserve it. And I was willing to go my own way and to keep a safe distance from others. But then Jesus found me, and he showed me that I was actually created for relationships. And I desperately needed his love and the love of others. And he calls me now to love others the way he loves me. So today, I prioritize my calendar around significant relationships, and I look for opportunities to connect with others. A big John over there actually inspired me to start a fantasy football league, just so I could connect with a few more others. And now I'm meeting regularly with uh, several people, um, a lot of whom are in our church. And um, I pray every morning, and uh, some of you who uh, are here are are the ones that I pray for. Um, And I pray for you every day. Now Jesus, he left his throne and he trapped himself into a human body just to have a relationship with me. So the least I can do is to spend a few hours in prayer and uh, have a couple of lunches um, in a week and pursue relationships uh, with some of Jesus' friends, uh, each of whom might someday become an elder here at Trinity or at another church. My name is Tim Tian. And I am loved by God and called to be a saint. So uh, our scripture reading today is from the book of Romans, the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and through who the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Two, all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Tim. I am privileged to um, be one of the recipients of of Tim's um, uh, desire for for community or his commitment to community and significant relationships, and it really is a pleasure to be his friend. Sometimes he's a pain, um, but um, he's a good pain in that he spurs me on in ways that I need to be spurred on. I forgot my water. Um, So, Tim, thank you. Thank you for your friendship, your partnership, and 
and just for leading us well. Uh, and thanks to Angie and, and Elzar for that amazing uh, piece. And you may not know this, but they actually wrote that um, slash arranged that. So that was, that was their deal. Um, you know, John Newton had a few things to do with it, but it was, um, that arrangement was theirs. I'm really excited about this morning as we kick off this, this new series in, in the book of Romans. Romans is, um, is an amazing book. Martin Luther called it the chief book of the New Testament and the very purest gospel. Samuel Coleridge called it the most profound book in existence. The great Swiss theologian Godet wrote that every great spiritual revival in the church will be connected as effect and cause with this book. There are law schools in our country that use Romans as a textbook to teach lawyers how to make a logical and persuasive argument. This is an incredible piece of literature. And what is so astounding to me about Romans, and I think sometimes we, this gets lost on us, is that Romans is a letter. It's a piece of correspondence. I've never written a letter like this. Um, but this is a piece of correspondence that one could argue is the most significant piece of correspondence that has ever been written. Some people would argue that, that Romans is the most important um, piece of literature that's ever existed. And the reason is because Romans encapsulates the story of God and how we fit into that story. Romans is the message of the Bible. And if you miss Romans, then you miss the Bible. Because what Paul does in, in a masterful way in, in these 16 chapters is give us every issue of life and how to walk it out. You've heard the, the old expression, all, ro all roads lead to Rome. Okay, four people have heard that. Uh, all roads lead to Rome. We use that to refer to the idea that there are many routes to get to the same goal. But the phrase is based upon um, the idea that in, in the ancient world, the, the Roman road system, which was, um, was um, incredible, that all these roads radiated out from Rome like spokes of a wheel. And you could connect through this road system, you could connect everything back to Rome, to the capital. All roads lead to Rome. Well, we're calling this series All Roads Lead to Romans because the, the book of Romans is such an incredible explanation of life that it touches just about everything. 
You could argue that Romans serves in the Bible as a nexus, as a crossroads, as a a critical juncture where these phenomenally humongous doctrines all come together and connect with life. Do you want to know what's wrong with the world? Romans addresses that. Do you want to know what's wrong with people? Romans addresses that. Do you want to know how to get along with each other? See, Romans was written to this church that was comprised of Jew and Gentile. And if you didn't know this, Jews and Gentiles are very different. Um, More different, in fact, than Democrats and Republicans. And they were having conflict. And so how do these people get along? Romans deals with that. Uh, Do you want to know how to be a new person? Romans speaks to that. Do you want to know what the Holy Spirit of God is up to in this day and age? Romans tells us. Do you want to know how to relate to government, whether or not you need to pay your taxes or drive the speed limit? Romans deals with that. Do you want to know how to be in right relationship with God? Romans deals with that too. A lot. I could go on, but I I think you get the point. Uh, All roads lead to Romans. Now, we're going to just kind of intro the book this morning, but let me say right up front, you can't check your brain at the door during this series. You can't sleepwalk in here. So can I encourage you for the next number of months, get up a little bit early so that you're alert, have an extra cup of coffee, and come in here ready because this is going to stretch you. And Paul's going to say some things that make us uncomfortable, and we're going to have to wrestle with them, and we're going to have to try to connect the dots. And so you got to come in here ready, Okay? Martin Lloyd-Jones preached this book for 10 years. John Piper preached this book for eight years. We're only going to be in it for about five, so that's... uh, (laughs) The point is that this is a book with such import that we can't rush through it. Now, there are going to be weeks that we take big chunks of it, uh, but then there are going to be weeks when we just look at one verse, maybe two. This morning, we're not going to get past the hello. We're going to look at these first seven verses that Tim read to us that are the the introduction to to the book. Before we unpack them, I think it's important for us to recognize that this is a pretty long introduction. When you compare the introduction to Romans to other introductions... You've got, like this one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus. 16 words. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ at Philippi. 16 words. The intro to Colossians, 25 words. The introduction to Romans, 95 words. Four times longer than these other introductions. Why would Paul spend so much time just getting into the letter? 
Because Paul wants to communicate right up front how passionate he is about this message, this gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, Paul can't think of anything more, excited, more exciting in his life. And he can't wait to get into the meat of it. And so in the introduction, he just, here you go. He talks about who he is as the messenger. He talks about uh, the message itself. He talks about his motivation for the message. And then he gives us kind of a, a, a personal charge right at the end. So let's look at Paul, the messenger. He starts off by telling us who he is in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul says he's two things. He says he's a servant of Christ Jesus and an apostle. The Greek word for servant here is doulos, which literally means slave or bond servant, which is different than a a simple slave or a simple servant. You see, if you were a Jew and you indentured yourself as as a servant or a slave, your master had to set you free after seven years. But if you loved your master and you wanted to commit yourself to him and to his household, you could choose to become a bond servant, a bound servant. And the book of Exodus says that if you chose to do that, they would take you in front of the house, they would take a nail, they would drive it through your ear into the doorpost of the house symbolizing the fact that you had become one of the household. You were literally nailed to the house. But you did that willingly because you loved your master and you wanted to be a part of this household. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I'm a bound servant of Jesus. I love my master and I willingly commit myself to him. I'll go through anything for him. He says, I'm a bound servant called to be an apostle. In the broadest meaning of the term, an apostle is one sent out by the authority, sent out on authority with a commission. When you are called, it means that God chooses you, He works in your heart and draws you, and He sets you apart for His purposes. Paul is saying, I was saved by grace. And thus, I love God and willingly become a part of his household, and he set me apart to bring the message of Jesus. Paul couldn't think of anything more exciting. He couldn't think about a subject to be more excited about. Paul was just ready to go with this. So he's the messenger, but here's his message. Verse 2, set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. Paul's saying, look, this isn't my message. It's God's message. It's God's message that he communicated through his prophets, through his scriptures. Paul says, it's it's God's gospel, not mine. It's his message, and it's an Old Testament message. Incidentally, that's why true Christianity is true Judaism. If you were a Jew and you kept close to the scriptures, your Old Testament taught 
through prophecies that someone would come and die. Your Old Testament taught through promises that there would be a Messiah and through a pattern of worship that no one could approach God except through shed blood. If you studied your Old Testament, it taught you through prophecies and promises and patterns that somebody was coming to die in order to save. So by the end of the Old Testament, your heart was primed for the message of John the Baptist. And when you heard him proclaiming the year of the Lord, you would run to the Jordan River to be baptized. Because you were ready for that. Paul says, my message is not mine, it's God's, and it's biblical. And notice what it's about in verse 3. Regarding his son. It's God's gospel, which he promised through his prophets and his scriptures regarding his son. Friends, we need to be crystal clear about Christianity. The gospel is not about communion. The gospel is not about baptism. It's not about moral codes or, or moral teachings. It's not about some religious act. The gospel is about one thing, and that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, there's no Christianity without the Christ. You simply cannot have the former without the latter. That is one of the fundamental things that sets Christianity apart from other religions. In Confucianism and Buddhism, it is the teaching and principles of Confucius and the Buddha that um, represent the essence of the religion, not the teacher. Even in Islam, it's not about Muhammad, it's about Quran. And a Muslim would point to the book and to the traditions rather than to Muhammad himself. You see, in other religions, it's the teachings that are central. But by contrast, Christianity is about Jesus. It is about the Christ. John Stott wrote, The person and work of Christ are the rock upon which the Christian faith is built. If he is not who he said he was, and if he did not do what he said he had come to do, the foundation is undermined and the whole superstructure will collapse. Take Christ from Christianity and you disembowel it. There is practically nothing left. Christ is center. All else is circumference. That's what Paul is saying in verses 3 and 4. That the person of Jesus is the crux of our faith, not his teaching, but who he is and what he did. Namely, verse 3 that he who was as to his human nature was a descendant of David, referring to his genealogical claim to the throne, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Who he is is the Son of God, Jesus our Lord. And how he has declared that is not because Paul or Peter or someone else just thought it up, but he has declared that by what he did. Namely, he rose from the dead. 
Essentially, what Paul is saying in these first four verses is what Jesus said in John 5 when he was talking to the Jews. And he said, if you believed Moses, meaning the law, he said, you would believe me, for Moses wrote of me. When Jesus was talking to the guy on the road to Emmaus in in Luke chapter 22, it says that, you know, after the resurrection, they were confused and they didn't know it was Jesus. And he said, going back to the law and the prophets, Jesus explained everything concerning himself. You see, that's what Paul's saying. That this is not a new gospel. It's old, and it's all about Jesus. It's God's message revealed in the Old Testament scriptures about a crucified yet risen Messiah. Can you get a sense of how excited Paul is about what he's about to write about? I mean, he hadn't even started writing yet, and he's already getting into it. Remember, Paul was a Jew who had studied the scriptures and earlier in his life had persecuted Christians until God knocked him off his donkey and revealed the risen Christ to him. So he's pumped to be the messenger of this message. Jesus in this gospel is the most important thing in his life, which raises the question, what's the most important thing in your life? What are you really excited about? NFL playoffs started yesterday. That's pretty exciting. Unless you're a Cowboys fan and then it's depressing. Um, Always next year, right? There's this whole political campaign, you know, presidential election stuff. That's kind of exciting. What are you excited about? And what is your gospel You see, whether we know it or not, we all have a gospel. Even people who don't believe this gospel have a gospel they believe. What's wrong with the world and how we fix it, that's our gospel. Some people think that if we could just get rid of one set of politicians and bring in another set, then then that would fix it all. Politics is all about gospels. Some people think that education is the savior. Some people think that health care is the answer. Some people think that tax reform is the answer. Some people think that economic growth is the gospel. But Paul's gospel was centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's your gospel? What's most important to you? What are you excited about? Is it Jesus? Is it his gospel? It was for Paul. And it was from him and for him that Paul did his ministry. This is his motivation. Verse 5. Through him, Jesus, and for his namesake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. You see, Paul wasn't sent out by God and granted grace by God so that he could make a name for himself, bring glory to himself. He was sent out by God and granted grace by God to bring glory to God, to to 
bring glory to God's name. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthians? I am not worthy to be called an apostle. He said to the Ephesians, I am the least of all the saints. He wrote to Timothy and he said, I am the chief among sinners. Do you think Paul understood grace? You bet he did. He could never forget what had been a he had been apart from God's grace. He had been self-righteous. He had been cruel. He'd been trying to destroy God's work by um, persecuting the infant church. But God stopped him dead in his tracks, knocked him off his donkey, revealed the risen Christ, called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and, and, called, and to call them to believe in Jesus. How could one so rebellious be brought to his knees before Jesus and then be given a charge that would change the world? There's only one answer. The grace of God. Only God's grace could do that and only a gracious God would want to do that. Friends, it was the grace of God which motivated Paul, as verse 5 says, to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience which comes from faith. Did you get that? From, from the obedience to the obedience which comes from faith. Does that ring any bells to anybody? No? Okay, so here's a, here's a little education. Um, our mission statement as a church is that we are an international and multi-generational community dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ who are growing in faith, obedience, hmm, and joy as we go out to advance God's kingdom. That little phrase in there, we, that we're a community committed to making disciples of Jesus Christ, that's the core. Every church, that has to be the core of their mission. But we put that phrase, uh, who are growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Faith and obedience. You see, obedience always follows faith. It always follows faith. Because as we come to believe, we are changed. And we begin to do the things that God has commanded us to do because we believe that his commandments are true. And the more confidence we have in him, the more faith we have in him, the more obedience we will have. You see, when we come to God, we are changed. When we come to the gospel, we are changed. We become more obedient because of our faith. And here's where Paul gets personal. Verse 6. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that these folks in Rome, which is the the center of their geopolitical world, all roads lead to Rome. He says these folks in Rome are called to Jesus Christ. And it's not just the Jews, and it's not just the Gentiles, but all of them. You see, 
the Jews could have been thinking, well, you know what? We started this church. And we've got our laws and we've got our traditions and we've got our, our Jewishness. Who needs these Gentiles? And the Gentiles could have been, think, could have been saying, well, yeah, you may have started it, but we're, we're the new wave. And, you know, we don't really need all that Jewish stuff anymore because Jesus came and we're doing it this way. Paul says, no, 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 no. This is for all of you. This letter is for all. This gospel is for all. We in this room are very different from one another. We have different skin colors. Some of us are dark-skinned. Some of us are, are white-skinned. Some of us are pasty white-skinned. Um, some of us are all these shades in between. We speak different languages. We have different political parties that represented here. Some of you watch Fox News every night and are convinced that President Obama is a closet Muslim. Just saying. Some of you love President Obama and, and hope that Hillary is elected so that she can carry on his mantle. We're different. Some of you get ESPN alerts on your phone during church. Bill Rose is looking at me right now. Some, some of you get alerts from the Food Network. Some, some of you like country music. Some of you like uh, rap and hip-hop. And, and some of you like show tunes. For life of me, I don't know how, but some of you do. The people in this room are very different from one another. We are international and multi-generational. We're from all over the place. But this letter, this gospel is for all. This gospel brings us together by bringing us all to the same Savior. And His name is Jesus. And here's where I want this to get really personal and applicational. Do you see how Paul describes those Roman Christians? Verse 7, those who are loved by God and called to be saints. Loved by God and called to be saints. Friends, you are loved by God. You are loved by God. And my prayer for us as we go through this series over these next months is that every week you will walk out of here knowing that you are loved by God. That you'll just go, I'm loved by God. Do you know that to be true? Do you know that about yourself? Paul is saying to these Christians in Rome, all of them, that they're beloved of God. Do you know how good the gospel is, how good the good news is that Jesus Christ died for you? That Jesus Christ, who was declared with the power to be the Son of God by his resurrection, that he did that for you? Do you know that because of what he did, that you are saved from God's wrath and that Jesus' righteousness is yours and that Jesus' status is yours? Do you know that to be true? Do you know that you're loved by God? Turn to your neighbor and say, I am loved by God. Wow. That was a lot of conviction out there. 
Turn to your neighbor and with conviction say, I'm loved by God. And it's not because of how good you are, and it's not because of what you have done. It's because of what Jesus has done. I am loved by God. And friends, that's true of all of us. The gospel is for all. So turn to your neighbor and say, you are loved by God. Even the people you don't like are loved by God. Even the people that disagree you with you are loved by God. Hillary supporters are loved by God. Donald supporters are loved by God. It doesn't matter. We are all loved by God. And shouldn't that affect how we treat each other? Every day this week, I want you to look in the mirror and say, I am loved by God. On the authority of God's word, you are loved by God. And that's where the road to Romans begins. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 7, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. You heard Tim in his testimony at the end say that he was loved by God and called to be a saint. Every week through this series, the, we're going to hear from people as they share little pieces of their lives with us before they read the, the scripture. They're going to say, I am loved by God and called to be a saint. We we can get that we're loved by God, but that call to be a saint thing might be hard for some of us because of our religious upbringing. We might think, well, you know, has Pope Francis said something about Tim I don't know about? You know? Um, we think that a, a saint is a super Christian. It's, a, it's, you know, a Mother Teresa kind of person. But... On the authority of Scripture, I need to tell you there are no such thing as super-Christians. There are just Christians. People who follow Jesus. And if you are a Christian, you are called to be a saint. A saint is a set-apart person. Someone that, that Jesus has set apart for himself and wants them to live for his purpose. To live holy, called to live a holy life. That's what a saint is. And it's for all who were in Rome, and it's for all of us. If you are loved by God, then you will want to be like God. You will want to be holy, and you're called to it. You see, the gospel meets us where we are, and then it changes us. It changes us to be more like Jesus. To be more holy. To be more saintly, if you will. That's what it means to live as a Christian. Loved and holy. Loved 
and holy. That's what the book of Romans is all about. Knowing that you are loved by God and learning what it looks like to live that love out in a practical way, day after day after day. Loved and holy. And that's how Paul begins this amazing letter. Arguably the most amazing letter ever written. He says, I'm excited to be a servant and a messenger of this great news about Jesus, our risen Lord, the Son of God. And it's not new news and it's not my news. It's God's news. And the news is that God loves you and has called you to be a saint. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the on-ramp. I'd like to end this morning by asking you two questions. First question is, do you know, do you know that you're loved by God? You are. And all you have to do to know that is to look at the cross where Jesus died so that your sin could be forgiven, so that you could be united with your heavenly Father and live this abundant life that Jesus came to offer. Do you know that you are loved by God? Question two. Are you living as a saint? Are you living the life God has set you apart for? He loved you so much that he gave his life for you. So will you then live your life for him? Loved and holy. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that my worth is not determined by how good I am. That my worth is not determined by how I live up to some set of teachings, some standards, some rules that have been established. My, I'm grateful, Lord, that my, my value is not contingent upon what I do today or tomorrow, but my, my value, my worth is determined by the fact that you love me and died for me. And I pray that everyone in this room today come to appreciate that, that their significance and their security, their value is not tied up in anything else. Or maybe it is, but it shouldn't be. 
because nothing else will ever, ever compare, satisfy like the love that you have for us is demonstrated in the cross. And Lord, I pray that that I would learn every day um, a little bit more of how to live that love out. How to be a saint. You've called me to be that. You've called us to be that. And I pray that we in community would help one another to be more holy as we live the life that you've set us apart for. 